Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong. It's your girl, Jacqueline. I'm here alongside my favorite person to talk movies with, Mr. Mark Ellis. And we're in studio. We did it two weeks in a row thus far. It's an unbroken streak. We have not burned the building down yet. Surprisingly. Surprisingly. (laughs) Although the characters in the movie we're talking about today... Probably already would have set fire incorporating some stunt. There would have been samurai swords. There would have been one of them bearing the other one. Yeah. This is one of the all-time most anticipated episodes ever for this show. For me, anyway, Jacqueline. And for me as well. Look, I remember the first day my boss, Joel, like messaged me at the time. And he was like, hey, I think we're going to do a podcast based on the book. And the book was, you know how to embrace your rotten movies that we love. And Step Brothers, cult classic underrated gems and films that are so good, is the cover of this one. the cover. Rotten Tomatoes, rotten movies we love. And honestly, the fact that we haven't done this yet is just so surprising to me, but I'm so glad we're finally going to get to talk Step Brothers with the guy who I think the very first time I met him made a joke about (laughs) the Catalina wine mixer. I'm not at all (laughs) thinking that. I think it's on videos at his former employers. Like, I think you can check this out. Mr. Hal Rugnick comedian co-host of the Binge Boys podcast with Lon Harris, another friend of the pod. And I will also say one of the best stand-up improvisers. He still teaches classes here in L.A., Mr. Hal Rednick, sir, welcome to the pod. Damn good to be here. The only other place I'd rather be is the Catalina Wine Mixer, <laughs> getting drunk on wine, flying helicopters, playing Billy Joel covers. Oh, my goodness. Uh, yeah. A pleasure to be here with you and Mark. Well, you know, the Catalina Wine Mixer was not a thing. They made it up for the movie. But, but since now. the movie came out, that's one of the many just facets of popularity that the that Step Brothers has funneled itself into, manifesting out of thin air and out actual annual event called the Catalina Wine Mixer. I don't know if they sell helicopters there, but (laughs) they do. And you got to think that there's 80s Billy Joel cover bands. I don't know if they're from Central California, but you have 80s Billy Joel cover bands. It's got to be part of the Catalina Wine Mixer. I mean, it has to be. There's so many great moments from this movie, and we're definitely going to get into it. The reason why we're getting into it is because Spirited, which is coming out on 1118 on Apple TV+, Plus, stars Will Ferrell, Ryan Reynolds, and Octavia Spencer. This is sort of our way to talk about a great Will Ferrell movie that we love. So, And there have been tons of requests for for it. Mark. <laughs> mostly by me, yes. Yeah, mostly by you. Mark, bef- and how. before we get into chatting about this, can you, as best you can, tell us the 
plot and what is the happenings of Step Brothers? Well, yeah, since uh, our, our viewers and our listeners are not going to be able to just to follow Hal and I driving around L.A. for the rest of the day, which oh, yeah. is pretty much the plot of Step Brothers, yeah. <laughs> here is how it works. So you have Dale and Brennan, and they both come from single-parent homes, and those parents, lo and behold, fall in love at a conference. They meet each other, and they say, well, there's you know the one thing, I'm, I, I'm in love with you, but I have this kid, and uh, not exactly a teenager anymore, just kind of acts like that, and it ends up being John C. Riley and Will Ferrell. They meet, they're living under one roof they're not necessarily the best of friends until a few incidents bounce certain ways and they discover not only are they getting along did we just become best friends yep thanks oh yeah mostly to the love of metallica and samurai swords and getting randy jackson's autograph on said samurai sword (laughs) their adventures ensue they overcome some obstacles including siblings including siblings wives who may be in love with one of them including falling out of tree houses and uh, therapy and all these other things that sort of shoo you into away from your adolescence into your adulthood and it all ends up at the catalina wine mixer what's gonna happen in that climactic sequence the band gets kicked off stage we need somebody to rescue it. Here come Dale and Brennan. I love this so much. That is, honestly, sir, can I just say, uh, that is a certified fresh summary. That is a certified fresh <laughs> well, summary. Then it's better than the movie. I know, I was movie... about to say, 55% rotten and a 69% audience score. But the way you described it, 75 and above. I just want to what, make sure everyone understands What was the that. audience score again? 69% audience score. Perfect which score I, for exactly this movie. Exactly the score this movie should have. Yeah, Bill and Ted improved. 55% mm-hmm. rotten. This is actually one that like, it could, it could find enough reviews on like DVD and streaming to where it might one day push ahead. But right now the it's still 50. The little engine that yeah, could. Yeah, it's close enough. There's a couple of movies that we did like that, like The Sandlot was like the 58, 59. Spaceballs it, is now fresh. And it Spaceballs, is. Wow. When, when this book came out, I remember yeah. I was moderating a panel for it in yeah. New York City at Comic-Con and Spaceballs at the time was 59%. And I was like, oh, this is so close. We just need a couple more reviews. Now Spaceballs is like 61, 62%. Yeah. Sister Act 2, as we mentioned last yeah. week, has, has taken leaps back and bounds. Yeah. And I think I'm not going to say that it is all about us here at Rotten Tomatoes is wrong, but it is a testament to how these movies rise in estimation. And when we really think about, like, again, the podcast and everything involved in it, this this is the this is the movie that I always want to say. So how I'll start with you, sir. Is Rotten Tomatoes wrong about Step Brothers? Just give it to me straight. 100%. Absolutely <laughs> wrong. I mean, the critics who called this movie uh, that said it was uh, rotten, they have no joy inside. <laughs> their, their, their inner child um, perished. Some, who hurt them? <laughs> and actually, I have a list of a few of the critics that I would like to call out oh, right now. Oh, the phone. Yes, oh oh absolutely. Um, oh Chris, receipts. Christopher Tukey of the Daily Mail in the UK. Not um, a favorite publication. Hey, yeah, you're in the UK. And also, you wrong. You, <laughs> y- y- you fumbled the ball. Uh, Cosmo Landisman, you're no Cosmo Kramer, sir. Of the, you know, what's in the water in England? Was it Brexit? They, you know, they eliminated the ability to enjoy good old-fashioned comedy Good for crying out loud. in England. I don't know why this movie didn't capture them. Like a Johnny English might have. Right? Or, or a Mr. Bean. Uh, Lind- Lindy West of The Stranger. 
in Seattle, Washington. You are a stranger to humor, <laughs> my friend. Uh, Michael Smith of Tulsa World. Um, Oklahoma's okay, but your take on Step Brothers okay, is not. You, before you get the entire critical community okay. to hate us. I don't care. I am here. to. I brought receipts. I'm okay. calling it out. I am going scorched earth. Rotten Tomatoes is damn funny. I love this so much. Um, Mark, re- very quickly, I'm just going to take your quick take on this one before we go into to Tim, it's Rotten Tomatoes Here's wrong. 10 critics that I would like to call out by yes, name. continue. I will say thank you to Justin Rothkopf, I believe is the gentleman's name, who wrote the review of Step Brothers in Rotten Movies We yeah, Love. Yeah. So it's his uh-huh. essay in the book yeah. that is defending it. And I will agree with one Jonah Hill who says that he feels that Step Brothers is the modern comedy classic of our time. It's the yes. all-time best modern comedy film he's ever seen. Absolutely do believe it. and 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 to me, like... Blues Brothers. This is the Blues Brothers of our generation. Just that perfect comedy movie that does The critics more. didn't care about it, yeah. it, but it just keeps on chugling throughout the generation. I yeah. like it. And so I agree with that. But let's not just imagine what the critics were saying. Let's go ahead and turn it to our favorite segment, our review curation manager. It's Mr. Tim Ryan. Two Minutes with Tim. Take it away. Two Minutes with Tim. We at Rotten Tomatoes published a book a couple of years ago called Rotten Movies We Love. The image on the cover is from Step Brothers. It's Will Ferrell and John C. Riley flailing their arms and making silly faces while jumping into a pool. And it's the kind of movie made for our book and this podcast as well. Step Brothers did well at the box office, but it got mixed to negative reviews upon its release, including a famous pan by Roger Ebert. But the people who love it, love it and its stature has grown over the years. Of course, critics can never be sure how a film will be embraced by an audience, and even its fans would admit the movie can be silly and juvenile. But in his essay about stepbrothers in rotten movies we love, Entertainment Weekly senior editor Joshua Rothkoff argued that there's more to that silliness and juvenilia than meets the eye. He wrote, Asking us to accept these awkward boy men, and we do, through a stupefied veil of train wreck magnetism and the distant recognition of our own 12-year-old selves, Step Brothers ends up making a mockery of adulthood, and that's quietly radical. Step Brothers is rotten at 55% on the tomato meter with 203 reviews, and it has a 67% audience score. So what did the critics have to say? In a rotten review, Joe Morgenstern of the Wall Street Journal wrote, There's a good subject for satire here, the extended adolescence of American kids. But satire presupposes maturity, or at least some perspective. However, in a fresh review, Matt Weitz of the Dallas Morning News wrote, The engine that drives this flick is the chemistry between Mr. Riley and Mr. Farrell. The two obviously delight in each other's company, and it feels good and it's funny to watch. The Rotten Tomatoes critics' consensus reads, Step Brothers indulges in a cheerfully relentless immaturity that will quickly turn off viewers unamused by Farrell and Riley and delight those who find their antics hilarious. So that's Step Brothers. Let's kick it back to Jacqueline and Mark, each of whom have been called the songbird of their generation by people who've heard them that good back to you tim i just love hearing his voice i love the fact that we're back in studio and i really really love that we're talking about this movie but i, I do we even care what the critics like do, we've already established we don't care about about what they say on this particular one but there were some critics who liked it and i do appreciate that tim calls them out as well yeah and and i feel like the problem with comedy is that it's more so than any other genre it's the beauties in the eye of the beholder right yeah and i will admit once we get into movie talk that i had my own misgivings about Step Brothers when the movie was being advertised mm-hmm. so i wasn't sure how this movie was going to play out but like anything else we like having our opinion validated and so when we'd watch sitcoms back in the day, your your friends, your Martin, your Seinfeld, you heard a studio audience laugh 
And that made us feel like, oh, okay, now that ratifies that what I think is funny is funny with the masses. And so when you see a movie that's 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 well reviewed, it's a comedy. Doesn't matter what comedy it is. It, it could be something like like Bridesmaids, like Monty Python and the Holy Grail. It's like, oh, I'm glad the critics are on the same page. It makes you feel validated. I just don't feel validated by the rotten score for Step Brothers. Yeah, I would say, you know, this comedy is uh, subjective and, you know, a lot of comedy can be an acquired taste. And this movie, you know, it is lowbrow comedy, much of it. It's not uh, Armando Iannucci's In the Loop. It's uh, it's it's not peak <laughs> Albert Brooks or something like that. It's not defending your life. You know, it, but it goes for it. It commits. And it's in a proud tradition. I think you can hearken back to uh, people like, you know, uh, Jerry Lewis, Peter Sellers in the Pink Panther movies, um, Steve Martin in The Jerk, Pee Wee Herman, uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure, like goofy, doofus, goofing around characters. And they have the pedal to the metal uh, playing those archetypes in this movie. There's sometimes when committing to the bit is good, sometimes when it's bad. And unfortunately, a comedian only knows it in his rearview mirror. But I do appreciate mm. that this was this is one of the good examples. And with that, <laughs> let's go ahead and take it on to our movie talk where we can break down just all of the incredible quotes and all the iconic scenes. Brian, cue the music. And we are back. Okay, Hal, I'm going to start with you, sir. When did you first see Step Brothers? Because I did not see this one in the theaters. Okay, this is weird. I'm not proud to admit this because I didn't see it in the theaters either. I saw it in bits and pieces on cable. I would just join it. I would mm -hmm. just jump in. Like, it would be a moving train, and I'd grab on, and I'd be like, oh, yeah, I'm in. I'm along for the ride. And finally, I kind of pieced it together, and now I've watched it in its entirety. Uh, but... I just knew like you could jump. It's like it's one of those movies like uh, Goodfellas where you can just hop in anywhere. And it's like, you know what? This is too good to leave. <laughs> it was like joining a classic episode of Saturday Night Live already in progress where yeah. you just knew the next sketch was going to kill. And you didn't necessarily need any connective tissue with the plot because there is a plot here, as I aptly described mm -hmm. when we kicked off the show. But it's not that necessary to just have laughs because you can put on, for instance, one of the most watched scenes from this film on YouTube. I think it's got like 15 million views on its own is the Sweet Child of Mine rendition yes. by Adam Scott who plays the brother the, the asshole brother and his family yes. he just makes them perform it perfectly to a yeah. T and it's just that's funny independent of anything else going on watching Dale and Brennan go at it is funny watching Richard Jenkins and Mary Steenburgen who are the parents in this movie very undervalued I would say as straight as men comedic yeah. forces in this movie too absolutely so there's so much and it's funny that neither one of y'all saw this in theaters because neither Neither did I. Wow. I came to it the same way Hal Rudnick did, where you just see uh -huh. bits and pieces. You're like, this is really funny. And I was apprehensive about this film because I think Anchorman's a great movie. Okay. Anchorman and, and Anchorman, the legend continues for that matter. I, I think they're both very funny. But I was walking out of the first Anchorman movie, which I did see in a theater, and I just thought, like, that is a movie I'm going to want to rewatch in 10 minute bursts. I don't necessarily want to sit down and watch the whole movie because I just can't take that amount of it, yeah. pure idiocy for that long. Uh -huh. And so I thought Step Brothers was going to be the same way. But Step Brothers just has this weird quality that I can't really put my finger on, Jacqueline, that just makes it endlessly rewatchable. And you want to start at the beginning and you want to go on this full journey. I don't exactly know why. But man, I I care about these people. Well, against all odds. I mean, look. So I didn't see it the way that you guys saw it. I actually saw it in an even stranger setting, which is that 
I think it was four years later for me or three years later in 2010 is when I moved back from Dallas back to Austin. And that weekend, I did not have a couch. I did not have anything. I had a bed and I had a room. And my two best girlfriends from college came down to Austin and we went to the Austin City Limits Music Festival. And if you've ever been to music festivals, you know, at the end of the night, you're tired um and things that little you need, toasty a little you know, tired need, yeah. little need, to, need to decompress and these girls put on stepbrothers and i kept them up all evening just <laughs> laughing woke up the next morning being like she's got a smile like, i was just oh, yeah. and they were so done with me they were so done with me they were like this was the wrong movie we should have played her something to calm her down <laughs> not to hype her up because she is so not it so katie courtney love y'all uh i think that's why that movie works as such a great party kind of movie yeah. too is because you don't have to follow every beat of it you yeah can, you can see a scene you can drift out you can come nothing oh, it's but one. bangers yeah. one after another oh, and both knows. Both of you have mentioned the amazing sweet child yeah. scene, which is held aloft. It's gorgeous. With Catherine Hahn, because I, oh, as yeah. much as what Adam Scott is doing, I we were going to get down to this in a second. Actually, I want to hold off on this because I want to give everyone their due, and I want to basically first start with the, the film. So hold off on the sweet child of mine scene, but okay. should the movie be fresh, and why do you think it wasn't fresh? So I, uh, as I said before, I 100% believe that this movie should be fresh. Why do I think it wasn't fresh? Uh, I think, you know, we were kind of hit a couple of the thoughts that comedy is subjective and that it is goofy. I feel like critics thought, oh, this is so dumb. It can't be good rather than and they let that cloud their vision Mm. because I actually think this is a well-told story of these brothers, these stepbrothers who are rivals. Then they come together. Then they're forced to grow up. And if I could take it to a slightly deeper level, which uh, the the brothers, they they find joy in the end. And this movie is a clarion call for you to follow your passion, your joy, to smell the roses and look at the jerks who uh, work for Adam Scott's and Rob Riggle's company. Like they follow the money and they're evil, they're mean, and they're not happy at the end of the day. Whereas these two, these two innocent gems, they follow their passion and they find joy joy at the end. So people out there listening, follow your joy and you can be as happy as uh, Dale and Brennan. It's the scene that we see at the end when Richard Jenkins' character is finally coming around to who these kids are and who they had been the whole time when he says, oh my God, this is me before I gave up my dream of being a dinosaur and pursued an adult job. He just wanted to be a dinosaur. And so I will take it a step further than Mr. Rudnick and say, Step Brothers is the best Filmed version of Peter Pan that we have ever seen. Very, very true. Because everybody else was Peter Pan at one point. We all were. Yes. And then you grew up and you forgot how to fly. Dale and Brennan have never stopped flying, or in their case, hitting each other with shovels and defending their drum sets with their very lives. Hell yeah. yeah. That's why I do comedy, you know? I I, I love it. And uh, yeah, do not become a wage slave. Do not become just beholden to capitalism. You know what? Give up all your worldly possessions. (laughs) and go full Dale and Brennan, everybody. I mean, can I just be like the woman at the table to say cautionary tale? There's an entire generation of men who followed this advice too carefully, did not go to therapy, and now we have the dating situations that we have now. Just remember, do all the things that you guys did, (laughs) but remember, these two guys were also in therapy when they decided to do that. So chase your dreams, but 
Get a good therapist. But you know what this yeah. movie is, though? This movie is like the more modern-day version of Wall Street. Yeah. Where you had a character who you're not necessarily supposed to be modeling your life after, mm-hmm. but they're so charismatic or they're so funny in the case of Step Brothers that everybody after Wall Street came out wanted to be like Michael Douglas, even though Gordon Gecko is clearly the villain of yes. the movie. Yes. That movie came out. Pat Riley starts slicking his hair back on the lake of <laughs> silence. Everybody wanted to look like that. That's and true. And so Step Brothers comes out, and it's like, oh, this is the way. It's not necessarily the way to model your life, but it is a nice reminder to keep some of that youthful joy that you had and try to bring it to adulthood. But the other thing about this movie and the reason why I think it's rotten, according to the critics still, is that you can take comedy and you can call it highbrow or lowbrow, but there seems to be something where you have folks that show up to a movie set and the movie feels largely improvised that I think sometimes we feel like they weren't trying as hard, that they just showed up and wanted to make a movie with their friends. Both things can be true where you do want to make a movie with a bunch of your pals, but I feel like this is a much better example of a film that works like that as opposed to Grown Ups, which is more scripted feeling, and it's all those friends who just want to hang out and make a movie. Here, I feel like they really thought they could do something special. Yeah. And I I think they did. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. The other thing I will say, too, is this was one of the first movies that was very open about the fact that they did all this improvisation. And what we have seen later is that a lot of movies have tried this and they don't have the same results because you have to have a team of very talented improvisers, but also a very smart director who knows just the right line to say to get the joke back. Like, that's the part of this that doesn't get seen as much, but I've been a witness to some of these sets. And it's really like, you know, Judd or Adam or whoever these directors are just being like, all right, say this, say this, say this. And then maybe the improviser's like, well, how about I tweak it this way? And it really is a chef, like, putting in a little bit more ingredients here, a little bit of ingredients there. And so you're only as good as your sous chefs. And I think the films where they have really great sous chefs, you get really great iconic lines. And the ones that you don't, you don't. And this one is a perfect example of like, I don't know how many lines Adam is credited to the actors on the day, but as many from himself. Do you have a favorite one that you know is either improvised or just one that you kind of live by from this one? Oh, man, a favorite line from this movie. Uh it's so hard to narrow down because anytime you start talking about stepbrothers, the lines just sort of fly back and forth. Yeah. It's like you play you play line tennis. You do play line tennis. I do like Catherine Hahn being like, I just, I, I, I don't want to talk about this. Like, like her give up and I don't want to be here when he starts yelling at her is my favorite. Just her, just like, I can't anymore with you. Her performance in this movie gets better every time I yeah. see it. She is, f- she's perfect yes. mm-hmm. in every scene. 
in this film as the, just this beleaguered, downtrodden wife who just yearns to break free. Yeah. Hopefully, with John C. Riley, yeah. the scene when that when they're just imagining themselves <laughs> in the forest and he's like a, a centaur. And it comes, it's just, it, it's so good. I think she says, like, I can't believe I slept with you or, like, I can't believe I let you impregnate me. Like, yeah. I think that's the line that I'm, like, I'm still about. The, the, the movie starts off strong and stays strong comedically the entire way. And one of, uh, like, I was just uh, re-watching some of it uh, before I came in. And one of the lines that I didn't remember, but I was like, that is amazing. When John C. Riley is talking to Richard Jenkins and he's like, all right, what if uh, what if your, uh, your wife uh, gets out of the shower and then, uh, or I get out of the shower and like my hair is glistening, my pubes are glistening yeah. and um, she's like, okay, I've tried the bull, now I want to try the calf. <laughs> and I'm like, that is horrific, nightmarish, yeah. and amazing. Yeah, there's the, also- the, the great line that, there's two lines that I think of when I think of this movie and for whatever reason, it's there. there's the, the scene where they're riding home from the birthday dinner where Dale and Brennan have made their presentation yes. for Prestige Worldwide to be this <laughs> talent company. They made a video that they played at the dinner, and it ends up with Richard Jenkins' boat getting wrecked. And so he's furious. They're driving home. Dale and Brennan are in the back seat, and they just, they're like, cut the crap. Are you investing or not? <laughs> like they, they still think that they've made this amazing video uh... presentation. But piggybacking off that, I think part of the reason why this movie works for me even more than Anchorman does is because... Mm-hmm. Anchorman, pardon the pun, never has that reality anchor that you feel that you do have in this movie because of the parents, because of Mary Steenburgen being down to earth and Richard Jenkins. Those are relatable characters. Those are those feel like real parents to me who just were busy and they lost their partner and you just have to raise a kid all by yourself and you just do the best you can. This was the result for each of them. And so you feel the pain. You feel the angst and comedy is pain. Christmas time comes around. It's clear that these two have sort of wrecked whatever beautiful vision for the future that Mary and Richard had. And so it's Christmas time and Richard Jenkins is so upset with what his life has become. They're talking about Christmas and he just says to no one in particular, I think we're going to go down to the Cheesecake Factory. (laughs) And he leaves that scene, that, that line delivery murders me. Yes. And I, I frequent it throughout the holidays. I also have to say to Richard Jenkins and Mary, they are playing quote unquote straight men, but the straight men that unravel. Yeah. And that is yes. such a hard pull because you have to gauge how far the kettle is boiling through each <laughs> minute of each scene. And so when he does do his like, well, that's not, that's the whistle. The kettle is whistling, you know what I mean? But it hasn't mm-hmm. like got insistent yet. I'm going down to the cheesecake factory. And as someone who I think um, has made it no, um, any way of secret that I really do appreciate chain restaurants like the Cheesecake Factory and TGI Fridays. Mm-hmm. Me and Mark were raised in southern cities where that was fine dining. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> and you can take the girl out the country, but you can't take country yeah. out the girl. Um, let me yeah. throw a question uh, out to both of you. Richard Jenkins, who has just been killing it for decades, um, I he just— I was watching Spooky Season. I was watching some Halloween movies, and he popped up in Witches of Eastwick. And I'm mm. like, damn, there's yeah. Richard Jenkins with more yeah. hair. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but a question for both of you. Um, he plays a disappointed father in this film. He's also a different kind of disappointed father in the Netflix uh, miniseries Dahmer. Who do you think, <laughs> which father is more disappointed in their son? I can't. <laughs> which father did a poor I'll job? Take, I'll take your and his uh, word on that one. I... Um, <laughs> 
have not watched that show, and I, I I'm look, I'm an awards editor, so I'm sure at some point I'm going to have to watch it and read it. But the range that that guy you has, can't though, make yeah, me, you can, can't make me. He can me. do straight drama with with the best of them. But the uh-huh. first time I saw Richard Jenkins and remembered, oh, this is who this guy is, was as the therapist at the beginning of There's Something About Mary. Yes, oh, where yeah. he just yes. got that little scene, but it's really funny. And then you also hear his voice in a serious film like Spotlight, yeah. where he's the one on the phone. You never see him, but he's it's his voice recounting yeah. how many priests he think have actually done this. And it's just such like a stirring moment. Just the fact that that guy could convey that. But then you put him in this movie and when he's yelling at them and he's calling them, you wrecked my boat, you goon. <laughs> it, it that that having that as the ground lets mm-hmm. Will Ferrell and John C. Riley be as hilarious, as moronic and as 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 not in touch with reality as possible because we buy something about this movie. I think that is a really important point for why I- Step Brothers is so it, it still works today. Absolutely. That and and the white dog shit. So, <laughs> Chris Gardaki makes him lick the white dog turd. Man, I fr- like that one right there. That was when I knew this movie. Like I was feeling straight Fairly Brothers. I was like, there is no line for where this movie is going to go. And it honestly talks to the brilliance of McKay and Farrell as both producing partners yeah. and, cl- and creative partners with John C. Riley more as a star of a lot of the movies, obviously. Mm-hmm. But just... That was, in my personal opinion, I was like, okay, these guys are doing it at a different level. It makes me lament that their partnership is over now, just considering how— You hope how, they get it back, yeah. yeah. I, 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 uh, I've been to enough therapy yep. to know that uh, some relationships are irrevocably broken, Ooh. and this relationship is irrevocably broken. It's, yeah, it's hard for me to relate because I'm friends with all my exes, as you know, Jack. I do. <laughs> all two of them. <laughs> Good, good friends still to this day. You know, I, I don't think John C. Riley, and I'd love uh, your opinions on this, gets enough credit as a comedic beast. Yes. Yeah. I mean, yes. I'm talking about a guy who has range, like yeah. Jenkins. John C. Riley in the same class. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. I love Steve Brule. Steve, like, uh, doc, um, <laughs> Dr. S- Steve Brule, for your health. Uh, he, it's yeah. so good. John C. Riley, yeah, the, the man can do anything. Well, this is what I would say. So do Steve Brule, do Step Brothers, and then go watch him in Chicago. Like, that's the part. Like, Mr. Cellophane, like this heartbreaking number that lives and dies by that performance, you have to be very good to be able to pull that off. And be able to do, you know, shake and bake. Did mm-hmm. we just come best friends? It is on a different level. We need to talk about Kevin. Yes. He's the dad and that. And yes. What a double feature that is. You that's put another that one. Next mm-hmm. to the adventures of Ricky Bobby. Oh, yeah. Because that's another one. And, and I think that people need to go back and appreciate the Ricky Bobbies and the stepbrothers of the world mm-hmm. more. It particularly given what we saw with Holmes and Watson, where it's like it just for whatever. It, it just ain't there. Yeah. It's and, not the same. And that's a movie that I that I understand critics going to and being like, you just put these guys in a scenario and just assume that we all thought it'd be great. And so I think that there was a lot more tender love and care that went into making Step Brothers, and that's why it still holds up to all of these repeat viewings. The iconic scene for me in Step Brothers, even more so than the Catalina wine mix or any particular line, is when they're discovering their similarities and how close friends that they could be. Did we just become best friends? They immediately run to their parents' room, and every at least for me, my brother, that was me and my brother when we were kids. You think of an idea, you, no, no creator as a kid is going to think of a good idea before 11 p.m. at night. 
So you come up with something great late night, like putting our beds in, into bunk beds. You run in your parents' room. You declare this great idea. They do not care. They just want to go to bed. They have job interviews the next day. And so their parents are like, yeah, whatever. They make their bunk beds. There's so much more room for aerobics. They crash in. And activities. It's, and, and activities. Yeah. And it simplifies. Like, uh, you know, men are dumb animals. <laughs> and yes. it really simplifies, like, and but uh, it, it typifies the connection that guys can have like the simplicity of it like you like fantasy football i like fantasy football you like the avengers i like the avengers let's hang yeah. let's drink brewski <laughs> uh, I, I think uh earlier uh jacqueline brought up a great point in talking about these dudes uh not being in touch with their feelings the failure to launch aspect of these guys and uh you know that kind of triggers in my mind there was like one scene uh, thinking back on the film that I feel like really d didn't age well to me. And it's when Will Ferrell is sitting with his therapist, Andrea Savage, mm -hmm. and he's really trying to like sexualize her and like mm -hmm. take the relationship to the next level. I'm like, that didn't quite age well. Just it doesn't dudes. Age well, yeah. But it's very accurate. Most men fall in love with their female therapist. It's oh. actually like a very common thing because basically this is the first woman that they've ever interacted with on an intimately emotional level. Yeah, she's asking them questions they've never heard. That so he's like never as heard much before. as that's a horrible bit of comedy, mm -hmm. as some, again, someone that's been in way too much therapy, if you ask my family, <laughs> I, that that tracks. Like not wow. me, but like that is a very common thing for therapists to say, especially when dealing with men. They haven't had anyone ask them about their feelings since they were four. And like the last person to do it was their mom. It's like a transference thing. It's like a very, it's not saying that the scene holds up better sure. because of it. It's not something that I think you can portray to wider audiences without that level of nuance. Mm -hmm. But is that some stuff that happens? Yeah. Well, you wish that character would would progress a little bit because there is the, there's a turn in the movie where they're down and out and they're on their own and they yeah. have to grow up a mm -hmm. little bit. And so, and it, and it works great where one of them buys toilet paper by themselves and it's just like yeah i did it and then the other one is doing their taxes with the chewbacca head on yes. and then decides maybe i don't need the chewbacca head yeah. to do taxes mm -hmm. and they're talking when they have that that initial exchange at the catalina wine mixer where they're trying to talk like adults yeah and it and it just feels a little weird and stifled but they're fun. but they're making a go of it because these are guys who have been raised in the, in this world where everything that they watch is them is is men leading and so when they're at the job interviews and they're wearing tuxes and 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 will ferrell tells the the one young lady to uh, shut your mouth shut your mouth you sound so, that's just the way that they grew up thinking yes. this is how you talk yep. you know you could watch a james bond movie in the 60s and then you can go to a job interview and feel like oh is that not how i'm yep. supposed to act as a, right. as a debonair man about town it's the thing about the movie that i really want people to not forget as they get the reason why this movie is so iconic the reason why it lives in our hearts and minds is not because these were two buffoons doing buffoonery it's because they gather some emotional intelligence by the end of it and realize the havoc mm -hmm. that they're wreaking on their families and like if it's just two buffoons it's funny but it, it's not something but that you can't follow for. the movie and i think yeah. that's how's yeah. point where where you'd see scenes of it on tv and then you're like i i kind of i'm laughing at this particular moment and it works great as a sketch in the same way that anchorman does but that's why i feel like this is a move this is a better film than than anchorman there's an evolution here the yeah. characters grow and uh, yeah there's a, a, a timeline of that relationship that helps you follow the movie for and sure and i would say the second anchorman is the better example of that like the second Anchorman, you see more growth from Ron Burgundy than you do in the right, first. You know what right. I mean? And I think that's a indicative of these collaborations between Will Ferrell, John C. Riley. You see a progression even in their uh, relationships as they dig deeper. I mean, the 
the big short to going back to this and further back, the, you can make mm-hmm. these lines. Uh, it makes me think for you guys, uh, let's go ahead and go between John C. Riley, Will Ferrell, and Adam McKay. What do you think is their best effort? And this is a long list to choose from, but uh, how do you want a minute? Or are you going to go first? I'll give you Will Ferrell first. I think he's the easier one to pick. Oh, for uh, Will Ferrell, his best effort? Well, you know, Will Ferrell has never made me laugh harder. That, and this is just one scene uh, in old school uh, where he gets shot in the neck with a tranquilizer <laughs> yeah. dart. Um, I don't know if I've ever laughed harder in a movie theater than Will Ferrell in old in old school. Yeah. Uh, and then you know, Anchorman is right there as far as uh, Will I would Ferrell's pick old best. school for myself too, just mm-hmm. because that movie I felt not only was Will Ferrell great, but everyone around him made him better, and they were also look. You got Luke with the like, you know, you. You go home or you take the early flight home. Like he gets a comedic moment like that. I feel like everybody gets their best comedic work. Vince Vaughn, that top swingers, which to me, I always thought that would be his best. Yeah. Work, Old know? school hits so hard right out of the gate too with that wedding scene where it's at, Vince Vaughn is actively trying to talk him out of getting married as she's walking down the aisle. And it was just such a shocking opening. Then you get the, the reception with the Dan band and seeing Will Ferrell in that movie. I think that that movie, it, it sticks out in all of our heads when we saw it. Because I saw that one in a theater. Mm. And it's because you were sort of waiting for the next SNL cast member to pop as a movie star. And you're waiting for who from this cast is going to emerge. Because Adam Sandler and, and Mike Myers were already like making, you know, Hugh, Eddie Murphy, the generation before. Yeah. Who's going to be it from this class? Then you saw Old School and you're like, oh, Will Ferrell's the guy. The guy. I mean, he is, he's stealing every scene in this movie. And then Anchorman comes out, but I still have this movie. I have Step Brothers as Will Ferrell's funniest effort. I have it as Adam McKay's best. I love the big short. I, that Succession's a great show that he produces. I'm excited for his take on the January 6th film that he's that he's coming out with. But it, for me, Step Brothers, again, and particularly in light of other projects that they've all gone on to since then that just haven't hit for whatever reason as hard as Step Brothers, I think it makes it makes this film stand the test of time even more. And yeah. so I'd put it up there with John C. Riley. But again, the guy has such range that he can disappear into another role and be dramatic and not and you're not thinking about Step Brothers or Steve Brule. Yeah, I think for me, I would definitely go with Chicago for um, for John C. Riley. I know that's like sacrilegious to all of y'all listening. I can hear your groans through my <laughs> earphones right now. But listen, I am a musical girl first, and I worship Rob Marshall for that movie. And John C. Riley has one of the best showstoppers of the musical where Catherine Zeta Jones literally like takes off her clothes and dances halfway through it. Like, come on, like this is like this is something I will live for. Mr. Cellophane, cue it up on YouTube. Definitely old school for Will Ferrell. Adam McKay, I'm going to go the big short. He put Margot Robbie in a bathtub and had her explain CDOs. Y'all. Yeah. <laughs> that is genius. Pretty good way to learn about economics. Exactly. Yeah, he, he sort of defined his voice and his take on serious, uh, on, on more uh, serious subject matter. Also, I think Vice is underrated. Christian Bale's performance, like, I think he should have won over Rami Malek, the Academy Award I, that year. I would year. agree with you on that uh, one. But, uh, and for John C. Riley. Steve Brule is my spirit animal. Mm. Like uh, Steve yeah. Brule, like I just, I uh, yeah, I've, I vibe with him so hard. So. I, I absolutely see I'll that. Give some, I'll give some love to another movie that I think is unfairly rotten and it was just kind of missed in theaters, but it's found a cult following sense is Walk Hard. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, yes. I. Yeah. He's just, he's the perfect casting for that Johnny Cash type character, but it's also such a goofy spoof, ridiculous comedy, but he owns every scene and, and it's the commitment. I mean, you see the commitment from him 
and Will Ferrell to just make these characters feel 3D, even though clearly you just read it and you're like, these are just two buffoons. Why do we even care about it? They're inhabiting it with, with authentic emotion. It may be from a bygone era. It may be very adolescent or even infantile, but it's it, it's still you feel that they actually care, that they're actually good people at heart. Yeah, I will say it's not an era gone by. I just, uh, this past weekend, little name drop, moderated the press conference for Weird. And so it was like, Weird oh, Al, really? yeah. Daniel Radcliffe. And that movie is in the vein of Dewey Walks, yeah. but takes it to a totally another level in the best of best of best of ways. Um, it, it's such a, like when I, when you mentioned Dewey Cox Walk Hard, I definitely thought about that because this idea of a parody biopic, but still, I think you can see the reality that they spoof off of, and mm -hmm. that's the best part. But let me ask y'all something because it feels like the, these films that are mostly improvised or feel that they they lean heavily on improvisation, whether it's this, whether it's Pop Star, or is anything else that would walk hard. It feels like those get unfairly maligned by critics. Yet shows like Curb Your Enthusiasm, which mm -hmm. I find hysterical, yes. and it's largely improv as well, feels like that gets lauded. By, by critics. So where's the disconnect there? Like, I guess I need somebody, I've been doing stand-up for 15 years, I need somebody to explain to me why Curb Your Enthusiasm is more highbrow or feels more highbrow than, than Step Brothers. I think Hal can speak to this one because of the medium. Like, sitcoms are theater and movies aren't. And so I think people, like, for me personally, I feel like the reason why they do it with the shows is because the, the concept of, like, like uh, sitcoms as we see them right. is like an audience situation watching it laugh track type stuff. That's theater. That's what that's intended to be. Whereas in movies, it's such a longer setup for that sort of like vaudeville type comedy call back. It can seem cheap on the bigger setting. And I think, yeah. Also, I feel like the meta nature of Curb Your Enthusiasm that uh, Larry David is spoofing his own persona adds a level of thoughtfulness perhaps That's to it. And you feel a yeah. little bit like a voyeur watching it. Like, oh, is Larry David really friends with Ted, Ted Danson? <laughs> um, and is uh, is his agent really similar to uh, Jeff Garland's yeah. big, uh, like, lout? So uh, th there's something about that. And then the the it's the longevity of it and the heights it reached with like the Seinfeld season mm -hmm. where they brought the cast members back. So curb your enthusiasm. I don't, I, you know, I don't know, like if you went back to the beginning, if it was beloved by critics the way it is now, but just the staying power and everything. Also, you know, when you're talking about improvisation, Mike Lee, the uh, great director, he heavily works in improvisation, but because his is dramatic, it gets all sorts of nominations <laughs> and stuff. Yeah. I mean, you, you mentioned uh, our, um, uh, the, guy that did In the Loop. Uh, he also yeah, did- Mondo Inucci. Yeah, Mondo mm -hmm. Inucci. Uh, he did Death to Stalin, a similar, yes. a similar mm -hmm. way of doing that one. Again, but when you're looking at it, I would put it to you this way. If you are asking the audience to be a voyeur on a ridiculous situation, it is much easier for that commitment because that's the way it was with Death to Stalin. You were peeking into this political environment, whereas in- the more fantastical you make these characters and the rest, yeah. the less they feel like they're real. It's like you have to commit to the experience and they're not giving you enough, I think, to commit to. Right. And and the meta nature of it. And I guess and, and they're doing more, I guess, uh, adult type things like they're going in curb. They're going to dinner parties and yeah. they're yes. going to functions. They're going to opening step. Mm -hmm. Brothers. They're just sitting around watching Shark Week. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like there's more like you have to get committed to the idea of these folks story in a film. Mm -hmm. And so if it's just a disparate sort of a grouping of set pieces, it's not going to have the same effect as a sitcom, which is intended to be a, a disparate 
group of set now, pieces. Now, I wonder that, you know, this, uh, this might be problematic, but uh, are you at all watching these guys, Will Ferrell and John C. Riley in this movie and wondering, like, are these guys slightly mentally ill? Are they off in some way? Like, I, mean, I think the, the film does a fantastic job of walking that line without addressing it because uh-huh. – Clear that there's some sort of you know uh, repressed intelligence going on there because they, yeah. they are intelligent in their own unique way. And but you know Forrest Gump, for instance, we see Forrest as a kid and we sort of learn what his IQ limitations are. We never really get that moment with these two, right? And so, but we do assume, I guess, in the back subconsciously that they went through some stuff. Yes, when they were kids, there's a reason why their their mom and their dad respectively are single. Yeah, and so they went through some sort of trauma that was never treated because their parents didn't have time and they're just trying to, to you know work and make a living and get a boat to retire on and so they can't it's a single parent household and that's a lot of work and so there's no siblings to help kind of raise and so I, I think that there is a lot of those questions and the movie does a beautiful job of maybe making us consider that in the back of our head but we're having such a good time and there's always another laugh coming around the corner that we never really fully have to put that thought in the forefront of our head. We can appreciate that there is an uncanny valley with these characters. We know they are hitting on a different frequency than the Mm -hmm. average person. And so there is a comedy that is built on that, but not explicitly said. That makes a lot of sense. Well put. I think. Uh, I will add this, though. 2008 was not just Step Brothers. There was enough going on that year as far as comedy. This was back when we would get like multiple big name comedies with big folks in it. Some are hits, some are misses, but I want you guys to maybe tell me if you have a film besides Step Brothers that you would say was like the best. Because I think all of us at this point would put Step Brothers at the top, but what is your number two amongst these? Get Smart, Tropic Thunder, You Don't Mess With the Zohan, Pineapple Express, Yes Man, Role Models, Baby Mama, House Bunny, Welcome Home Roscoe Jenkins, Drill Bit Taylor, The Love Guru, and Zach and Miri Make a Porno. Not those last three. <laughs> Not the last three. <laughs> Not the Sorry. last three. I but there uh, are, I think, at least one or two or three on here you can make a good ooh, argument Speaking for. of problematic, Love Guru. Uh, <laughs> uh, Tropic so, Thunder. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, uh, do, how do we, are we okay with uh, Robert Downey Jr.? Uh, I think I was until he mentioned it before he introduced Black Panther. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> yeah, it, it it's it's sort of taken on a life of its own. I think sometimes people do take it out of context what it was doing in the movie, but I'm not going to sit here and defend that choice. I will say the Tropic Thunder. Well, you could take a movie from the '90s like Ace Ventura: Pet Detective, which yeah. is still hilarious in many ways, does have that a, a few problematic elements now in yeah. modern society. So I think it's okay to take a movie and say, well, I didn't really like that, and it's tough. But there's moments of Tropic Thunder, the beginning for yes. the, all the all oh. the trailers yeah. are hysterical. So good. The so Tom good. Cruise is Les Grossman. There's so, Jack Black's just nutcase character. It, there's a lot to love in Tropic Thunder without taking the whole kit and caboodle. Out because For of me, that. Yeah. The, the two movies that are sort of, I think, underrated that are considered quite up there that should be are Role Models and Baby Mama. I think those were both very funny movies and they were very, they felt very modern and they still do of the time because Baby Mama is obviously not the ideal family situation historically. Mm-hmm. And then with something like role models where it's these guys like you, they were like me, like you never really wanted to even be around kids. And then you just have these you fall into this 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 plot and it really ends up being sweet, but also very funny and not always appropriate. But it still makes you laugh out loud. So role models and baby mama are way up there. Step Brothers is still 
I would say, the cream of the 2008 crop. But that's an impressive lineup of movies. The interesting thing to note, too, is because we're talking about Will Ferrell being like the next big star from an SNL cast. Yeah. You had You Don't Mess With the Zohan and The Love Guru. And that was when we're looking at Mike Myers and Adam Sandler. Like, wait, do these guys mm. still have yeah. Are they their fallible? Do they still have yeah. the thing? But you know who was still at the top of her game at that point? And the one that I would pick off the list, because I agree with you on role models, very unre- uh, underrated, House Bunny. People do not appreciate that. That had Emma Stone in it. Yeah. That has still to this line people like, um, sorry, what's your name, Mark? <laughs> Mark. Mark. You know what I mean? Like, that's a joke that I will still talk about. I will still talk about that, that joke. Anna Ferris? That's Anna yeah, Ferris. Back Anna when Ferris. she was the breadwinner and Chris Pratt still came. Uh-huh. But she is, so, like, you go watch Just Friends, too. She yeah, is such so an good. underrated. I think Catherine Hahn is now is now getting the recognition yeah. for what a genius she yeah. is. I don't think that Anna Ferris has ever gotten the respect that she deserves for Absolutely. just how purely funny she can be. Um, I just got a uh, shout out Pineapple Express. Yeah, James too. Franco, notwithstanding, Pineapple Express brings it. It's so damn funny. And it's combination of comedy and action. Uh, like it changes tone. I think, I think fairly seamlessly Danny McBride, like burst onto the scene, yes. like real hard in that movie, Seth Rogen, one of the great weed movies of I was all just time. Gonna say You can make a direct line between tropical, a uh, pineapple express and Seth's entire house plant, you know, empire. That yeah. There you go. And Danny and McBride also steals scenes in Tropic Thunder. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But for pineapple express, it's that scene at the very end when they're all clearly about to die and they're yeah. just sitting at a diner enjoying yeah. breakfast and they have this laugh that just keeps going. They're just laughing at the ridiculousness of what they just went through. I was on the floor. Yes, and he nearly dies in the scene and they're like, did he die? Yeah. I just love <laughs> yeah. that bit. Like, did he die? Pineapple Express has, it, it's got some great laughs at the beginning and then it it sort of gets to this other place where mm-hmm. you're not laughing for 15, 20 minutes and you're kind of like, what movie am I watching? Step Brothers never, never, never veers too far. If, if I had one complaint about Step Brothers, it's that I could have used one more scene with someone like Katherine Hahn, who j- just get gets to j- gets to be that character a little more, or Andrea Savage, or something like mm-hmm. that. But 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 that's a that's a minor complaint. Seth Rogen also a funny cameo. Yeah. In oh Step yeah. Brothers. Yes. What I mean, you know, we we always ask the, these questions once every generation or so, but it's like. Is was that the closest that we're going to be to a golden age of comedy? Like, are we going to get a lot of comedic movies in theaters? I was hoping that I really had a lot of hopes for Bros, as because it's a great movie, but I wanted it. I wanted it to be seen more because yeah. I love the feeling of being in a movie theater opening weekend and you're just rolling with a packed house. It's like being in a comedy club and the comics just just feeling it, just in the zone. I think it's a romantic comedy, but it is still a very broad comedy. I think Ticket to Paradise shows that people still want to laugh and do it in a slightly romantic setting because that movie this weekend with Julia and George just swept. It's going to be a $100 million movie in a weekend. So I think, look, bros, I saw it at TIFF. I loved it. It's so funny. I think there's very clear things that many other people have talked about, but why that didn't work. But yeah. Being scared and laughing are things that people want to do in a group, and that will never change. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, but I, th- I think you're on to it. I don't think we'll we will ever have these kind of broad, big comedies on mass uh, like we did back then. Like last year, like there were two bangers that I would put up against uh, anything: Borat Two and Barb and Star Go to Vista yeah, Del Mar. Yeah. Um, yes. I thought were yeah. funny as hell, and both but, on streaming services. Yep, both on streaming. So we're in a different day and age now. Yeah. 
now. I, and, I don't disagree. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then uh, everything is so much more compartmentalized. You might like, you know, talk to some kid on the street, uh, which I know both of you do all the time. Uh, and, and, and their- Hey, son, let me give you a piece of my mind. And their favorite comedic thing is a YouTube channel that we've never heard of. Yeah, yeah. And then mm-hmm. someone else's favorite thing is uh, is a TikTok and someone else is a brand new streaming show. Or that a comedy I, musician. Yes, exactly. It's We're so broken up entertainment wise. Someone's got to bring us back together. Well, you can hey. even see shades of that happening when if you chart the timeline from what the classic comedies used to be into something like Step Brothers, because we all talked about how you can watch this movie in little bits. Yes. You can mm-hmm. watch this movie in TikTok form and it's yeah. still going to be funny because you're just watching very small scenes from it, but they all are going to have multiple jokes in there. So much bite-sized, yeah. yummy little nuggets. Yeah. I mean, look, it's a, it's an old vaudeville technique, right? Like these interstitials, like the mm-hmm. idea between the set pieces, you have these two guys come out, they commit to the bit and they leave it. I mean, like that's what Abbott and Costello were doing before they became Adam and Costello. Heck yeah. I don't know this based on comedy knowledge. I know it based on film knowledge. <laughs> word. Because these guys are are doing, they're both sort of the, 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 the wacky one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Lou Costello. Yeah, yeah. And, you're, and you're just watching them play off each other, and so you need somebody to be the Bud Abbott. That ends up being Mary Steenburgen, yeah. more mm-hmm. often, Richard and Jenkins. Richard Jenkins. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think uh, I think we've talked about how much this is such a great love fest. I oh, love yeah. when we can have a movie where it's just like a great love fest of how much we love it. Can, can, I, I just want to mention say, one your, more. No, I was going to say. Oh. I was just about to say. Thank what's you. your final <laughs> thought on Step yes. Brothers? Oh, thank you. I can't yeah. leave without bringing up Will Ferrell uh, singing. Let's give him something to talk about. Yeah. Yes. Um, and I sing that all the time. I was watching that with my wife and I and we got in this habit of going back and forth saying love, love, love. And just the earnestness. I love that scene. There's so much. It's just a oh, it's, it's just full of full of goodness. This movie. Hal, thank you so much, sir. For oh, being what a pleasure. Here. This was so much fun. Uh, I did want to ask you, is there anything that you want to tout where folks? can find you uh go ahead and let us know absolutely uh you can follow me on twitter and instagram at hal rudnick uh if you twitch at all maybe uh see someone about that and if you go on twitch you can follow me uh, on twitch.tv slash hal rudnick uh and i'm also uh hosting a show called fail center on pluto tv so uh yeah a few different places where we can enjoy each other the binge boys tournament of nerds yes the guy just keeps cranking out quality content for you to see live for you to put in your ears afterwards thank you sir of all trades. I do appreciate that. I'm going to ask you to give us one more trade, though, sir, if you can tell us your TV movie recommendation our fans should uh, take a peek at, since you're the man in the know. Okay, so it's October, so I'm going to give you something spooky. Uh, there have been 11 different Hellraiser movies and like three good ones. So, and and the last one, I th- I feel like it brings it. The Cenobites are just doing their Cenobite hijinks. And uh, I really enjoyed the new Hellraiser on Hulu, Hellraiser 2022. Check it out. The uh, perfect meal for your spooky season. Oh, I dig. I dig. All right, Mark. Uh, next week. What do we got? Yeah, next week. It looks like, well, first of all, we didn't have a mailbag this week, but don't let that dissuade you from letting us know. You don't forget to email us at RT is wrong at Rotten Tomatoes. We are quickly working through the list if I have anything to say about it. Uh, and next week, uh, we're going to get uh, we're going to get into the next season. We're going to skip over. We, we're in spooky season right now, but the next season we're going to we're going to we go going all, holiday. Yeah, we're going all the way. What? 
Jingling? Jingle all the way. Really? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Schwarzenegger, Sinbad. Yeah. Uh, that is it for this week on Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong. We will see you all next week. On behalf of Mr. Mark Ellis, Hal Rudnick, Mr. Brian Perez, we want to say thank you all for listening and we'll see you all next time. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.